Yeah, we have now session two of our great guest speaker, Neil Walker. I'm so, so excited to hear what he has to share with us today. And so uh, just join me in welcoming in whatever manner you guys can do, uh, Neil Walker, for uh, learning about laboring, part two. <laughs> Thanks, David. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Good to uh, be here. Can you hear me okay there? Good to go? Hopefully so. Okay, great. Well, it's really good to be with you. Sorry, we were having a few technical difficulties before. I'm sorry about that. Uh, trying to sign on and um, was getting blocked by my computer. So uh, after trying several different um, websites, I just tried a different computer altogether. So here we go. We'll give this a shot. Hopefully this will work well. So when we began last time, we, we began to look at the need for laborers. And Jesus's answer, as he saw people's lives and he saw the condition of their lives, was that we needed to pray for laborers. In fact, those who are equipped, motivated, and intentional about helping people move from wherever they currently are to maturity in Christ. And so that was what's on the heart of Jesus. Generations of disciples were what Jesus's plan was. And that's what's on the heart of a laborer. A laborer begins to see the world through the same set of eyes that Jesus did. And his desire is that there would be generation after generation of disciples. So when we looked last time, we looked at several reasons why there aren't more laborers. Now, I want you to think for a minute and think, okay, do you remember back to those? Because, you know, you'll want to keep those in mind. You know, one of them we talked about, you know, we just don't like the term. Oftentimes, you know, we we like the term CEO. We don't like the term common laborer, you know, and, and we need to get over that. You know, secondly, the enemy opposes it. He always opposes that which is strategic. You know, the third reason we looked at is a lot of times we don't have the right focus. Um, a lot of times, guys, what I really see with folks in ministry is they like to kind of do uh, drive-by discipleship where you don't have to actually get that involved. And, you know, laboring, laboring is a lot like parenting, like we looked at. It's not like babysitting your nephew for a little while. It's actually being involved in somebody's life. Another reason we looked at, it's hard work. You know, I mean, it's not glamorous, but it's very rewarding. And then the last one, we just don't pray enough for labors. That, that's really the reason. So <clears throat> what I'd like us to look at today <clears throat> is what is the work of a laborer? What does a laborer do? If we're going to be one, it'd be really helpful if we knew what a laborer actually did. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Now, to discover that, what I want us to do is to sit at the feet of one of the all-time best laborers, the Apostle Paul, and learn from him. And what we'll find from Paul is he'll share with us not only the goal of laboring, but he'll also share with us the process. What do you do? What's the day-to-day -day look like? And so, first of all, let's just look at the goal as, as you begin to look at that. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul gives us the goal. And he says this, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Jesus Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, 
which mightily works within me. So I'd like us to look at just a few observations from that passage right there. First thing he says, you know, he says, admonishing every man, every man. It's an, it's an individual thing. Nobody's left out. You're not looking to exclude anybody. In fact, it doesn't matter whether a person is a long ways off from God or whether a person is really close. Your goal with every single person is the same. You want to help them to grow towards maturity in Christ. You want to help them to come to know him and really grow towards maturity in Christ. And then he says, we present every man complete. That's the goal, you know, spiritually mature adults, no longer little babies in Christ. They're, they're spiritually mature adults. And what we want to do is we want to be helping a person come to maturity so that ultimately they can repeat the process. You know, we want to we want to grow them up, help them to become spiritual adults so they can have kids of their own. And so that's one of the things we're working at. And then notice the pronouns in that passage right there. He says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man so that we may present everyone. It, in other words, it's a team effort. It's one of the things, you know, every laborer ought to be part of a we. You need to really, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll find students and they'll say, well, you know, do I really need to plug into challenge to uh, really make disciples? No. I mean, you can do that, but you know what? When you're working with a team, man, there's so many benefits, so much more encouragement, so much more help along the way. You know, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, two are better than one, for they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his brother. But woe to him who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what woe means, but I think it means woe. You know, it's not good. You, you don't want that. So, you know, I mean, it, it'd be a really good idea to team up with some guys. And then you look at the rest of the pronouns, you see I and me. Paul also says, you know, I am working hard at it too. In fact, he uses this word labor, which means to toil until you are worn out, working till you're just worn out. And he says, it's in his power. We don't just tap into our strength to do the work of a laborer. We tap into God's strength. And you see that Paul mentions that in Romans 15, 18. He says, I will not venture to speak except for what Christ has wrought through me for the salvation of the Gentiles. What Paul saw was it was God's strength working through him into the lives of other people. So Paul clearly lays out the goal there in Colossians 1. And then in 1 Thessalonians, what Paul does is he tells us what the process is. He describes it for them actually by telling them what he did. And you see that over and over in the life of Paul. One of the things Paul was crystal clear on was this. He understood that in training, he needed to set the example himself because people really learn the most from his example. And he says that in several places, like in, in 1 Corinthians 4.16, he says, I exert, exhort you rather, be imitators of me. Or in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, you follow me as I follow Christ. Or in 
Philippians 3.17, he says, join together and following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have in us a model, keep your eyes on those uh, who live as we do. Or in Philippians 4.9, he says, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So what Paul understood was if they were really going to get it, if they were really going to make it a part of their life, they first of all needed to see it lived out in somebody else. And so he tells them, hey, guys, do what I do. Follow my example. Now, where did Paul get that from? Well, Luke, Luke kind of tells us. If you look in Luke, who traveled around with Paul quite a bit, in Acts 1.1, Luke says this. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, you've probably read over that verse 1,400 times. But you know what? You read it and you notice something. Do you see what he says? All that Jesus began to do and teach. We usually th say things like this. You ought, you ought to practice what you preach. That's not what Jesus did. He preached what he practiced. He did it, and then he talked about it. That's one of the things you see with Paul, too. Paul picks up on that same thing. He does it, and then he turns around and tells the Thessalonians, hey, here's how you do it. You just do what I did. And that's exactly the same thing we ought to do, men and women. So what he tells them in one verse, Paul sums up what a laborer does. What is the process of laboring? One verse. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. So let me give you all three of the things a labor does, just in case, you know, you fall asleep or, you know, you've got to see grandma or something like that. Well, then you'll have them all three. And then I'm going to take a little time. We're going to talk about each one of them. So, you know, the three things are simply this. You know, laborers love people. Laborers share the gospel. And laborers share their lives. So the first one, laborers love people. He says right there in the first part of, of verse 8, because we loved you so much. You need to learn to really love other people well. That's part of what a laborer does. And you look and you say, well, you know, I, I don't always feel. And no, that's, no, it's not about feeling. It's not about feeling. It's about what a laborer does. They love people. Now, what does that look like? Well, if you look at the life of Jesus, you have some real, real um, uh, clear clarity on that. One of the things it means is you befriend the people that you're working with. You know, people today, guys, they're not looking for friendly people. They're looking for friends. And so what you want to do is you want to really come alongside and befriend people. Jesus did that. You see him doing all kinds of things. I mean, a lot of times when people read the Bible, I think they read it in kind of a weird way. You know, kind of like, oh, look, Jesus is cooking by the campfire. What's that mean? It means they're having a cookout. That's what it means, you know, or Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. What's the significance of that? They're sailing. 
That's the significance of it. They're out in a boat, you know? I mean, Jesus did things with the disciples that you do with your friends. I mean, he went to weddings with them. He went to funerals. He had barbecues. I mean, they went on picnics with 5,000 other people, by the way. But, you know, I mean, they they did those. Uh, they, you know, they went boating together. I mean, they hung out in each other's homes, you know, all the time helping them along the way. So one of the things you're going to see, laboring takes time. And just like befriending people, you know, laboring takes time, time to help, time to listen, time to train. The problem is often, a lot of times we don't like, you know, people interfering with our lives. And what you've got to do is you've got to realize that laborers befriend others by loving people. Another thing they do in, in loving is they accept people. They accept people. Jesus accepted people because of what he could do for them, not because of their performance. Now, Sometimes one of people's greatest fears in relating to us is if I'm open and honest about who I really am or what I'm really like, will I be accepted? And men and women, the answer ought to be yes. I guarantee you. Now, I know some of you right now, you know, you may think, well, I, I don't know that I approve of everything that my friends are doing. Well, you don't have to approve. Approval doesn't mean acceptance. Approval just means, I mean, acceptance just means acceptance. It doesn't mean approval. You know, you acceptance, what it does, acceptance yields influence. How many of you really want yourself to be influenced by people that don't accept you? <laughs> no. I mean, that's like an idiot thing. No, nobody wants to do that. So what you want to do is you want to really accept others. Laborers accept others because laborers love people. You know, and then serve. That's another thing. To love people, serve them. Look for practical ways to meet needs in people's lives. I mean, when you look at the life of Jesus, that's what he did. I mean, when you look in like, um, you look in like, um, Matthew, when he feeds the 5,000. Now, why did he feed the 5,000? Thoughts? They were hungry, right? Yeah. I mean, good night. It's not like rocket science. He fed them because they were hungry. Now, you look, go to John 13, and it says he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Why did he do that? Because they were dirty, you know? I mean, at one point, Peter goes, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter goes, then wash me all over. And Jesus goes, uh, no, um, I'll tell you what, I think we'll stick with the feet. And, you know, why? Well, because that's what we're talking about here. You know, you meet practical needs in people's life. That's what serving is all about. You look for practical ways to reach out and meet needs in people's lives. Labors serve others because laborers love people. But then the second thing, laborers share the gospel. He says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God. In other words, one of the very first things they shared was the gospel of God. Labors know that the hope of the world is the gospel. 
you know, one of my favorite books that I read in college, and, and I've continued to read it through the years, was a story about a guy that, I mean, by the time he was like age 10, he was a very accomplished thief. You know, and, and for years he went on stealing. He stole from his parents. He stole from his friends. He, he, he was just a thief and, and lived a very, you know, profane life at that point. I mean, when he was 14, while his mother was dying in bed, he was out partying with his friends and, you know, drinking and, and playing cards. Didn't even care. He tried all kinds of things to reform. He tried tried religion, you know, he started attending church. Uh, but even as he was talking about preparing for confirmation, he says he was guilty of gross immorality. And he tried all kinds of other things. He tried education. All it did was make him a more clever thief. You know, he, he found out new ways to steal from his friends. And then one day he ran into an old friend who had become a laborer. And the guy began to invite him around to a small group that he was a part of. And in that small group, he heard the gospel. And his whole life was changed. Now, we know that guy today is George Mueller. And we look at him, we think, oh, my gosh, this is the guy that, that you know, provided care and nurturing for thousands upon tens of thousands of orphans in England during the time of Charles Dickens. You know, I mean... Charles Dickens was writing books about orphans. George Mueller was taking care of them. You know, I mean, he was caring for all these orphans and he was supporting missionaries all over the world. But the thing that changed him totally, the gospel. Laborers share the gospel. You know, every time you read the paper, you see some story of how people from different backgrounds, different races, different socioeconomic things don't get along and how Something really needs to be done about this, you know, which I agree with. But, you know, as I think about that, I have this picture in my mind of some of our folks. Uh, I, I just saw this picture the other day of three of our gals that are walking along. Uh, it was Constance, Ifalola, and Natalie. Now, Constance is Chinese. Ifalola is from Nigeria, but grew up in England. So she'll really turn you on your ear because you walk up thinking she's going to talk one way and she has an English accent. And then there's Natalie who grew up here in, um, in Southern California. She's a Hispanic background. And you look at each one of them, nothing in common when it comes in terms of like politics, nothing in common when it comes to terms socioeconomic things, nothing racially in common. But you know what? They are three of the closest friends. Now, what made them that way? The gospel. The gospel totally changed their lives. And the gospel totally united them. What tens of thousands of government dollars and programs could not accomplish, the gospel did. You see that with those three great friends. The gospel changes lives. Laborers share the gospel. You know, laborers understand that sharing the gospel is a privilege. I mean, when Jesus gave the great commission to make disciples of all the nations, he, he wasn't weighing us down with a burden. He was infusing our lives with meaning and purpose. I mean, what you see is 
we have the privilege of sharing the gospel. If you, if you ever want to see an example of that, read Acts chapter 10 sometimes. And all of a sudden, you see the story of a, of a guy that Acts, Luke, as he's writing Acts, he describes this guy Cornelius. And he says he was a God-fearing man. You know, in other words, he, he, he wasn't sure, you know, who God was fully, but he kind of feared him and he was trying to figure him out. And because he's really trying to figure him out, God wants him to be able to discover who he is. So what does he do? An angel comes to Cornelius and an angel says, go and get Peter and ask for him to come over here. And he does. And Cornelius sends a team over and they get Peter and Peter comes back and Peter shares the gospel and Cornelius and all of his household come to Christ. Now, as you're reading that story, did you think what I thought? I mean, you're reading that and you think, why didn't the angel just share the gospel? I mean, why not cut out the middleman? What the heck's going on? Could have saved a whole lot of time. Peter could have caught his shows that afternoon or something, you know? I mean, why, why were you doing that? Well, there's a real simple reason. Angels do not have the privilege of sharing the gospel. That is reserved only for us. That is a privilege given only to us. Peter tells us, in fact, things in which angels long to look. That's what we get to share. Labors share the gospel. And you know, lastly, laborers share their lives. He says in the last part of verse 8, we were delighted to share with you our lives as well. A laborer gives his or her life to people. Paul tells the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I will gladly spend and be expended for your souls. So what do they share? You know, we talked about labor, share their lives. What do they share? Well, one, they share how to lay a foundation. How do you lay a foundation? That's part of what they share with other people. You know, in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 and 11, he says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. One of the things you do as a laborer is you help people learn how to build on the foundation of having trusted Christ. So you help them learn how to get their own groceries. You know, you help them learn to grow up in Christ. You know, um, whenever Foundations are one of those things that's important. We live, you know, like down here in Southern California, where I live, it's kind of like earthquake country, you know? And I mean, they make movies about this, like San Andreas. You know, I mean, you'll see, that's not really true, by the way. But, uh, you know, you'll see these movies and, you know, it shows everything rock and rolling. Well, we have this friend, when they had the Northridge earthquake here a number of years ago, one of our friends that worked in an office building over in West LA, she said, it was really wild. She was on about the 15th floor and she said the building kind of rolled to one side and rolled to the other. And then it just kind of st stopped. And I said, you mean it felt like it was rolling? She said, no, no, no. When they built the foundation, they built this huge foundation and then they put these actual big rollers under the building that they built. 
And so it would roll this way, and then it would roll this way a little bit, and it would kind of settle in. Now, you know what? When we had that big earthquake, hardly any damage done over there. Not much damage at all. At the same time, a little bit earlier, they had another uh, earthquake in another part of the world, same year as, as we had our earthquake, and tens of thousands of people lost their lives and buildings were destroyed all over the place. Now you look and you think, what made the difference? The foundation. Building codes over there didn't require them to have the right kind of foundation. Building codes over here required that we had certain foundations. What you'll find is preparing the right foundation in your spiritual life makes all the difference in the world. And that's one of the things laborers do. Laborers share their lives. They not only teach people about foundations, but they also teach people how to live life. Paul in 1 Corinthians, uh, or in, rather in Colossians uh, 1 through 3, talks about that. And he says, put off certain things and put on certain things. He says, you know, like you, you, you have these certain attitudes, you have these certain habits, you need to learn to put those off. And you need to learn to put these others on. I had a friend that was here one time, and he had come to Christ at SC, and he was beginning to uh, he was beginning to try to figure this whole thing out. He asked me, he said, "Hey, you know, Neil, how do you do that?" And I, I, I you know, what what are you talking about? He goes, "Well, how do you how do you just you know begin all that? It's hard to figure out how do you insert a whole new life into the life you're living." I thought, you know, that's a great question. And I said, well, let me ask you this. He'd moved here from Arkansas. He was playing football at SC. And I said, hey, um, let me ask you this. How do you, I said, do you have the same wardrobe now that you had when you moved out here? He goes, no. I said, how do you, how do, did you just go out one day and buy everything new? He goes, well, no. I mean, I replaced a little bit and then I replaced a little bit more and, you know, kind of got a different wardrobe. I said, that's what Paul's talking about here in Colossians. You lose this attitude, you lose this habit, you put on a different one. And what you find is in short order, you have become a new person. And that's what laborers do. Laborers share their lives. You know, they share with people also, they share with them how to help others. They show them how to share the gospel. They show them how to lead small groups. They show them how to labor. They show them how to build into the lives of others. Labor share their lives. Now, there's going to be moments in your life that you look back on, and you're going to find that there are certain things that they tend to define your life. I mean, you're going to find that. For some of you, it may have been something that happened during this year, during the pandemic. For others, it's maybe like a conference or something you're at. But you're going to find there's certain things that are just like markers. I was at a conference at a place up in Colorado years ago in this castle up in the hills. And this uh, friend of mine was there. We hiked up to this one grave that was up in the hills. And we're standing there looking down. And he looks over at me and he says, do you think you could drop down anywhere in the world and have a ministry? And I, 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 I don't know. And he says, huh, I wonder why and gets up and starts back down the hill. And I thought, good night. And so, you know, I don't know whether he thought about that at all again. I wrestled with that for the better part of a year. 
And ultimately, I think that is a large part of how I ended up at USC because I figured out the answer to that question. I figured out that, you know what, I could drop down anywhere in the world and have a ministry. And because I began to get some things squared away in my life, the question was great because that's what a laborer does. A laborer simply works in it. Now, the question I think you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to be a laborer in the harvest? I mean, you may think it sounds like work. It is. Well, why be a laborer? Simple, so others may live. I mean, you need to open your eyes and look around, and you'll see that Jesus' analysis still stands. The harvest is plentiful. Laborers are few. So this afternoon, what, what I'd really encourage you to do is just wherever you are, you know, you're at home, you're at school, wherever you happen to be, just go out on your porch and begin to pray for the people in the other apartments or the other houses around you. And even if you don't know their names, ask God, God, send a laborer to help them. Would you send a laborer? See what happens. And um, I think what you'll find is you may end up joining the force. You may end up deciding that the person that really needs to share with them is you. So let me pray for us, and I'll turn it back over to our worship crew. Father, I pray for the men and women here. I pray, God, that you would speak very personally to each one of our lives. God, we have so many ideas about what we would give our lives to. And yet, God, the thing that gives our lives meaning and the things that gives our life purpose and significance is when we give our lives to the very thing that you are about in the world, calling a people to yourself and helping them to really know you. So I pray that in whatever vocation these men and women are going in, in whatever field they find themselves, they would give their life to laboring for you in the kingdom. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.